Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. Let's welcome Montgomeryville and Royersford, Plymouth Meeting, Limerick. Watching online, why don't you clap back at all of our campuses? Give us some love. It is great to be with you today. Uh, we get to go into this this, this sermon series. I'm having a good time and uh, called "My Kids Are Scary." My kids are scary. We got three more weeks, and then we're going into a sermon series on Christmas. Can y'all believe it's Christmas? It's cr- like Christmas and Thanksgiving is is coming. It's crazy that the end is coming. 2020 is coming, and so. Uh, but we we we've been right in the middle of this series that I've been having a good time time in. It, what, what I found out is when I preach sermon series on parenting, since I'm in the middle of parenting, it helps me uh, to, to address issues that I have, to focus better, to make things a bigger priority. And so uh, the, end, the last two weeks are my favorite weeks. We're going to talk next week about expectations, uh, and, and it's really significant. The expectations you set for your kid's life tell them a lot about what you expect for them to do in the future. So when you have very low expectations for your kids, when your only expectation is, is breathe, you are essentially telling them, we don't think much is, is on the horizon for you. And so we're going to talk about expectations. The last week, the title of my message is, I'm scared I screwed my kids up. And so some of you, uh, I've, I know what happens when you talk about parenting is what, what, what we do is we evaluate kind of where we've been, the journey we've been on, the mistakes we've made. And I think we have a very real fear that if we do too many things, eventually we're going to mess our kids up. And I want to give you a good news, bad news. Uh, the good news is, uh, is all of us will do that. And, and the bad news is you probably already have messed your kids up at some point. And, and the thing is, if you don't lead them to Jesus, they will end up not, not, not liking you at some point because you will become their savior. And if you are their savior, eventually you will let them down. So your job is to lead them towards Jesus. They will need grace and mercy and hope, and they will realize that also you will need grace and mercy and hope. And so we're going to talk about that the last week, but today I want to talk to you on the topic of struggling. The title of my message is, is, is uh, I'm scared to let my kids struggle. Let, let's be honest today. We all struggle with watching our kids struggle. It's a natural parental thing. Like from the very young age, I remember they would pick up groceries, help us pick up groceries, and they would act like they couldn't do it. And what's my natural inclination? Let me help you, right? You have a hard time tying your shoes. I'm teaching you to tie your shoes. You're 17 years old. Let me teach you to tie your shoes. Uh, let, let me help you. You have a hard time with your homework. Let me help you. You have a school project. Let me, let me help you. You got cut from a sports team. L- let me help you. I, I remember very specific times in my kid's life when everything inside of me, I wanted to step in. A few years ago, we took Harrison to Valley Forge uh, Park to teach him how to ride a bike. We took him to the very, very, very back of this parking lot where nobody was at because I knew he was going to make a scene and I, needed, I didn't want anybody else to see it. And so we put him on this bike. We took his training wheels off and we started to help him, right? And eventually uh, we were helping him, but he was having a fit about it. And so he just sat on the curb. And my wife looked at him and she said, we're not going anywhere till you ride your bike. We'll sit here. Oh, we have nowhere else to be. You are riding this, this bike. And he had a fit. And finally he got up, you know, the kids do. And he started to figure it out. And he got on his bike and he fell once and he got on his bike and he's crying. And we just looked at him. And I had a hard time because my wife, she knew what she was doing. She's, she has this different relationship with Harrison. They're kind of, they're kind of one. It's her last. And so I wanted to help him. Like, we got to help him. She's like, no, he's going to learn to ride his bike. And you know what? By the end of it, he, he was semi-riding his bike and he had a victory. But everything inside of us, I wanted, I wanted to stop 
stop him from, from struggling. A few years ago, I took, I took uh, Carter to try out for, for a soccer team. And when I took him, a lot of the kids that were there already knew each other. And so they went down the hill. They were warming up. And I watched him as he kicked the ball by himself and no one kicked it with him. And so everybody was kind of kicking the ball back and forth. And I'm up on a hill. I felt like God in this moment watching, watching my son in kind of this fear of he was just kind of kicking the ball to himself like this. And kids would come down and he would look up at them like, is this going to be the one that would kick with me? And they would just run by and be like, yo, Jack. And he just kicked the ball by himself. And I remember thinking in that moment, I want to go down there. I want to kick it with you. Or I want to make one of these kids stop being selfish and, and invite you in. And it was, it was really hard to, to watch me watch him struggle in, in that moment. And I want to talk to you about the significance of this because we'll hide behind. It's really anxiety and caution. And we'll say stuff like this, right? I'm just trying to give my kids a better life than what? Than I had. I don't want them to struggle because I just want them to be kids. I want them to just be young and not have to worry about, about anything. And we all struggle with this. There's all different terms they've come up with to describe parents like us, parents that have a hard time watching their kids struggle in any manner. Uh, it used to be called helicopter parents, right? You, you would just and fix them. They would try to go up on the ladder at the, at the park or whatever, and they would fall down. You would be right behind them and, you know, pushing them up and make sure they're not going to fall down. Helicopter parents, and then it was to lawnmower parents. We would just kind of mow over any of their problems. In Denmark and Netherlands, they have curling parents, right, because that's not an American sport. You ever watch the, the, the Olympics? You're like, this is dumb, right? Like, you sweep it. <laughs> curling sport, right? Uh, curling parents. Uh, the newest term is lawnmower, or not lawnmower parents, uh, snowplow parents. Literally, you plow over any difficulty in, in their life. I read an article, and it said, here's how you know if you struggle with, with being a parent who allows their kid to struggle. If you ever approach your child's, your child's school and try to get your kids switched to another classroom just because their friends weren't in the classroom that they were assigned to, Lord forbid they have to make new friends, you might be a snowplow parent. I feel like Jeff Foxworthy, right? If you've ever offered incentives, bribes to a coach to help your kid make a team or get more playing time, you might be a snowplow parent. If you screamed at a referee or charged the field to argue with the umpire for making the wrong call against your kid and their team, you're probably a snowplow parent. If you help your child with every homework assignment and project uh, example, you pretty much do it for them. Like you just do it. Like I had, what's up with Tom the Turkey, by the way, for kindergartners? Anybody else do that? They're like, decorate the turkey, have fun. I'm like, this is not fun. My kindergartner doesn't know how to do this. You do the project for them because you don't want them to be embarrassed, right? You want it to look like something. You might be a snowplow parent. If you've ever tried to get your child's grade changed, especially when they're in college, you might be a snowplow parent. If you've paid off colleges to accept your kids, you're probably a snowplow parent. Like, we all struggle with this, right? We, we struggle with, with it. And the truth is, it comes from a good spot. We're anxious. We're, we're uncomfortable with seeing our kid be anxious and uncomfortable. And here's what I want to tell you. I'm not talking about keeping your kids safe. I'm not saying, hey, take them to, to something they're terrified of, push them off the high dive. Right? I'm not telling you not to keep them safe. Keeping them safe and allowing them to struggle are two different things. They're, they're two different things. In other words, one results one results when you protect them. One results in, in watching over them. But when you keep them from struggling, that often results from them seeing success in their life. Because we know as, as adults, one of the number one things that you're going to need to be a successful person, you know this, is to what? Embrace the struggle. The world is much harder than we, we, we tend to let our kids know. 
The problem is a lot of times we're not letting them know, and I've read a lot of articles on this. Kids are getting to college, and they, they cannot even face the work in college and the expectations of getting there on time, and you get the grades that you earn and all these other things because they haven't faced anything of, of substance in, in their life. And professors are saying these kids, are they're, they're, they have to take drugs. They have to, they have to medicate themselves. They're, 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 they can't handle anything. And so what I want to do is I want to teach you to embrace the struggle. And I'm going to give you four reasons you should. You should embrace the struggle in, in your kids' lives. You should allow them to face some pain now so they can succeed later. Let me give you just four. Number one is this, is if you don't embrace the struggle, your refusal can lead to their resentment. Your refusal to let them face any type of difficulty will ultimately one day, I believe, lead to their resentment. And here's why. Let me explain this, this, top, this point to you because when I was studying this, I'm like, this is this is something I want to make sure I remember because I have, I have a hard time with it. Like I, I like to make my kids' life easy on them. I like, I like to help them. That's, that's my, my, my nature. My wife, is she has a lot more wisdom, and she'll say you need to let them kind of go through this. When they don't do, they do their wash, and they forget uh, to put it in the, in, the, in the dryer, and it smells like, the, like a dumpster, right? That's been little, like let them, let them wear that to school when they don't have a clean uniform, right? For, for a game that you've told them you need to do your wash, let them wear it dirty. When they forget a lunch, right, and they don't have a lunch, and they, they didn't make the lunch, and they get to school, let them, let them feel what that feels like. If they forget an assignment sometimes, let them, because you're teaching them, them things. And he, here's the thing you need to understand. Your refusal to allow your kids to face this ultimately will lead to their resentment. And here's why. You are a representation to them of who God is. In fact, I will tell you, they probably don't understand, young kids, the concept of God. So you are God to them. One day you will teach them, I'm not God. There's a, a creator that made you, loves you more than I do. But right now, the way you treat them, the way you parent them, the expectations you have for them, everything that you do for them, you are teaching them uh, about God. And what happens is when you don't get this right, you endanger a correct view of God's love. And here's why. Because as soon as they get old enough to experience real life and they step outside of the bubble that you've created and God allows them to face some type of difficulty because let's just... Are you with me? What are they going to say about God, this God you've told them they love them? They're going to say, no, 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 love, because you told me and taught me what love is. Love is protection. Love is easy. Love is everything working out. Love is wherever I step, right? It, doors just op open up. Love is you always cleaning up every mess that I make. Love is me never facing consequences of my own actions. Love is you doing everything for me and me just kind of enjoying the ride. That's what love is. And as soon as God takes them in and says, I'm love, but they are allowed to face some type of struggle and difficulty and failure and from time to time god will let us face consequences of, of our actions the bible teaches about sowing and reaping sometimes they're going to reap something that they, they sowed in their own life like life is going to get difficult what are they going to say about god god's not love he's not love he doesn't care about me they're going to have a very limited view of what love is because to them love is what you've shown them and you actually get in the way of them experiencing a relationship with God. So here's what I wrote to myself, and I'm going to say this to, me, to myself all the time. I'm going to write down in my, in my notebook, refuse to parent differently from God because he's a perfect father. In your life, refuse to parent differently than God because he is the perfect father. You are not the perfect father, and you are not the perfect mother. Take the stress off you. He is, though. The Bible says in Matthew 5, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. He is a perfect father. And here's the thing about life and being used by God. 
their story will involve struggle. There is not one example in scripture of somebody that you can quote, that you know their name and their story, that did not face difficult times, that God did not walk through the valley of the shadow of death with. You go through the story, you go from Abraham to Job to Joseph to David to Daniel to Jeremiah to Peter, Paul, and John, and everyone else in between, they all face difficult times. Don't be guilty of teaching your kids without, without, not on purpose. Hey, if God loves you, he's going to make everything work out for you in your, your, your favor. No, God is faithful, and God will never leave you nor forsake you. But he promised you in Scripture that in this world you will face what? Troubles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Thank God this world's not our home, that we were meant for eternity. But they're going to face difficult times in, in their lives. That's why I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 4. Watch, watch what it says, and I think it's so powerful. He says, therefore, we don't lose heart. Why? Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, they're doing something. They're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Don't, don't, don't get in the way of them knowing what God, his character and his love is really all about. Refuse to parent the way and differently than the way that God would. Number, number two is this, is your constant intervention actually leads to what I would say long-term issues in their life. Your, your constant intervention is actually leading, I read articles, to long-term intervention. It's happening to college kids. It's happening to adults. They get their first job and they show up and it's like, here I am. Every door should open. Everyone should be nice to me. Nobody should backstab me. This, everything should just work out. And what happens when it does? They call you to call their first boss. Talk about an embarrassing conversation. This is Steve's dad and mom. And we heard that you didn't treat them well, right? Yeah, I know they didn't show up for work, or, 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 but they needed a personal day. They had a really long night the night before. And all these things are going on, and it actually takes... And here's... I read another article that said there's two different types of, of moms in here. I don't want to offend you today, but there's two types of moms. There's the mom that overprotects her kids, and then there's a mom that's trying to raise a kid that's kind of autonomous, can kind of make it on their own. And they did an experiment with these kids. They took these kids that were raised by different moms and, 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 and put them in a room, and they gave them a problem that was kind of difficult, something to fix, something to address. And the kids that had the mom that was overprotective, what, what do you think happened to them? They tried to fix this. They didn't even tell what it was. They tried to do this problem, and within five minutes, what did they do? They gave up. They didn't stop working at it. Why? Because they're used to mom coming in and saying, I got it. The kids who were raised by parents and who were kind of raising them to be kind of free thinkers and, and work through things, and it's okay to fail, even though they couldn't do it right away, they just kept working on it. You know, you know why? Because our parents are teaching them in their life, failure is part of life. D difficulties, they're, they're, part, they're part of life. You, you know, no parent enjoys seeing their kids get into messes. Let, let's be honest. But here's the thing about it. What is worse than watching your kid get into a mess is creating a child who can't get out of one. Want me to say that again? Because like three of you got it. You know what's worse at all of our campuses than watching your kid get into a mess that he's having a hard time with? He has real tears coming down his face. He can't tie shoes. You know, that, that's one of the messes I've created in my house where I've seen. Can't get their pants on right. Can't get their shirt off their head, right? Can't wash their own hair. Can't do any of these things. One of the worst things is not seeing them get into a mess. It's, it's raising a kid that doesn't know how to get out of one. 
that doesn't know how to fall down and, and get back up. You see, I, I love this quote. I've read this for years, and it's a reminder as parents. And the, the quote is, you need to remember, you are preparing your child for the road, not preparing the road for your child. You are, you are preparing your child for the road, not the other. The road's not changing for them. It's not. It's not going to go. The world's not going to go. Here, let me part the Red Sea for you. Bring ease and comfort and everything else. The world is difficult. I mean, let's, it's, we come in here every week and we say it as adults. I'm going to worship God even though it didn't work out this week. I'm going to worship God through the difficulties of my marriage. I'm going to worship God through raising kids. I'm going to worship God through this job and, and losing this promotion and not getting what I want. And we say it to ourselves and we know it to ourselves. Why are we hiding the fact from our kids? Your invention is actually causing long-term issues in their life. Let your kids struggle. Teach them that hard work is a necessary part of life. And sometimes that really hard work is really actually hard. Let them experience rejection. Let them understand failure is not the end of the road. You're strong enough to handle it. Let them, let them not develop what I would call victim mentality. Don't let them have a victim mentality where everybody's against them. Nobody is a hard, their teachers is hard on them and them, them alone. Parents need to tell their kids life isn't fair, but they're strong enough to handle the unfairness. It's not, it's not fair. It's not fair. Don't, don't step in and cause long-term issues. Let me give you, let me give you two more. Uh, you become a deterrent. This is the worst one. To God's development in their lives. You become what I would call a deterrent to, to God's development. Listen. I've told you a few weeks ago, I'm going to tell you again. God loves your kids more than you love your kids. He's a better parent to your kids than you're ever going to be. And vice, I'm going to tell you, his plan for them is much better than any plan you have. Much bigger. Like he's been thinking about them before you even knew them, before you even met the person you made the baby with, right? Like God, the Bible says God was thinking, thinking about them before the foundations of the world. And here's the thing about God's plan. In order to handle or hold on to God's dream for their life, he has to develop them so they can handle it. He has to put things inside of them like character and resilience and perseverance and grit and the ability to not quit when other people are walking away. In order to handle it, you got to learn how to hold it, right? And what happens is parents, we're keeping our kids from struggling and facing pain and facing anything in their life, and we are actually becoming a deterrent to God's development in their life. In fact, I read this story this week. There was two examples I wanted to use. The one was of a baby coming through the birth canal. That's the one my wife said. I said, eh, TMI, right? I'm not going to use that one. So you can go home and Google that, right? The significance of what happens when the, when the baby comes through the birth canal and the, the shifting and stuff, such like that. But the, the other one is a Native American story about a butterfly in a cocoon. I like this one. It's safer. And the story says that a Native American uh, walks by a cocoon one day, and he sees this butterfly struggling. He's trying to come out of this, this little tiny opening in the cocoon, and he's watching this butterfly struggle. He struggles so much, he stays and watches it. And as he's trying to get out, it's almost as if it's taking too much energy, and the butterfly decides he's, he's tired. So the Native American, with all the best intentions, just like we do as parents, he came to the opening in the cocoon, and he made it a little bigger. He opened it up a little more. So all of a sudden, this butterfly just kind of emerges quickly now through this cocoon. And instead of flying, he just falls to the ground. And then he has these wings, and it's, the butterfly is supposed to wave them and, and fly. But the, Bible, or the story says that uh, the butterfly just drags the wings on, on the ground, and actually they never function. The, the butterfly is grounded. 
So the story goes like this. The reason that that happened is, is the struggle trying to get out of the cocoon is actually significant to the butterfly because what happens, because it's so small and his body is so big, there's fluid in his body because the cocoon, the size of it, when, when he's pushing his way through the hole, the fluid is actually going into his wings. So as the fluid goes into his wings, the body's kind of lessening, and what hap- th- that fluid in those wings is what enables him to fly. It, also ma- it actually also makes the body a little less heavy. And so it's nature's, it's nature's pro- process. God is amazing, isn't he? So the butterfly comes out, and, the, and because he struggled. And a lot of times, we're like, we're like the Native American guy that comes in and opens up and makes it easier. I'm just going to let you pass. I don't want you to feel too much pain. And meanwhile, our kids who are supposed to be flying are dragging issues through their life and baggage because mommy and daddy got in the way. You see, you're, you're actually becoming a deterrent to God developing in, in their lives. One of my favorite quotes by Billy Graham goes like this. He says, mountaintops are views and for inspiration and, and amazement, but fruit is only grown in the valley. It is only grown in, in, in the valley. Stop getting in the way of allowing your kids to be developed for God's glory and his purposes by making everything easy on them. In fact, if you're a parent, write this verse down. If you are a son or daughter of God, write this verse down because maybe you're going through a struggle and you don't know why. Watch, watch what James says in James chapter 1. He says, consider it what? Pure joy. Not just joy. Not <laughs> pure joy. Watch what he says. Brothers and sisters, whenever you face what? trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance let perseverance finish its work so you may be may be mature and complete and not lack anything somebody say my kid's not mature what's the bible say you want them want them to grow up let them face some stuff i'll give you an example of my life i'm almost done Laura. you can come play, play me out but in my life this year because i'm like this uh, my son my middle son i didn't get to coach him because we have, I have three kids and so I can only do two, and so I've coached him before. I said, I'm going to put you on a team, but I didn't sign him up unknowingly for his friends' teams uh, because I, didn't, I just didn't know. I just was in a hurry one day, and so he gets on a really wretched soccer team, like wretched, and that there's like 20 kids on the team, and you know, he, I, I don't want to, I'm not one of those parents, like I'm a realist, right? Like I'm not one of those parents that thinks my kid's better than everybody else, but he was, he was by far the best player on this, 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 this soccer team. There just wasn't a lot of kids that played before. They were young. He was one of the oldest kids. And, and, be, and because of that, he, he would put him in, in this game, and they didn't play the whole game. There's 20 kids. It's a, it's a nine versus nine game, and so he would be at in and out. And when he wasn't playing, his team, was just they just weren't good. They just would lose. He would come in and score a couple goals, and his team would lose. And then sometimes they would put him on defense, and they wouldn't score any goals. And I'm like, this coach doesn't know how to coach because clearly Lincoln is the only one that's going to score goals on this team. And I, don't, I legitimately almost talked to the coach. Like, I was mad. Like, you could hear it under my breath. And then I was like, I'm just going to get him off. I'm going to bring him on my team. And uh, I never said anything. I, I, I wasn't a helicopter parent. I just kind of wrote out the pain for the year. Never really even thought about it. And then I got this email from, from his coach. And I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. But essentially what it said is, uh, I never coached a kid like Lincoln before. Because what happened in the league is, is I, would tell, I would tell when we left, they lost every game except for one. And I would, I would tell him, hey, just be a good leader then. Like learn how to pass to your teammates, encourage them, all this stuff. Uh, to be developed in some other aspect because there's more to soccer than just being on a good team and scoring a lot of goals. And so he did that. There was times he would be running for the ball and somebody else would be running for the ball and he would see this other person and he knew what was going to happen if you let the other person have it. Nothing, right? And he would back up and, and so this whole thing is going on. I get an email from his coach at the end of the year which is very abnormal because they're, they're full-time jobs. They just don't, 
the emails are on Team Snapchat, which is like, bring the, bring the Kool-Aid, right? Like, that's, bring the snack. But he sent an email at the very end here. He said, I just want to tell you, uh, Lincoln is like a kid. He's like, I've never coached a kid like him before. I watched him work with kids on the team that clearly are unexperienced. And, and all these things that, that he said about him, that I would pray that God would develop in him, but I would think would come a different way, like kindness and encouragement. And meanwhile, I was about to swoop and poop into this situation like a seagull, right? I didn't make that up, but the pastor did. And mess everything up. I would just, I would just come in and mess it up. And, and I was so happy I stepped back and just let him, let him do and be, and, and, and you know what I'm saying, what God wanted to do. I'm going to tell you, some of you are becoming a deterrent. You are in the way of God. You don't want to hear that, but that's true. You're in the way of God. And let me just give you one more thought. And this was kind of a point, kind of not a point, but really significant what I found is adversity has a way of grabbing their attention for God. Some of you want, you're like, I want, I want, I want God to do something. I want God to save them. I want God to do this. Listen, adversity has a way of drawing us closer to God, doesn't it? So if every time they go through some kind of difficulty, you take it away from them. You are actually getting in the way of God getting their attention. A few years ago, Lincoln is very sensitive. I know I just talked about him, but he, he kind of, I look at his life, and there's a lot of things as a middle child that I'm like, God, you're going to have to work that out, right? I don't know how that got in there, but I don't, you got to work that out, right? And so everyone's like that. But Lincoln, he is, uh, he, he really cares what people think about him at this point. Like, really cares. Like, is he, if he has a project, he want to make, he, like, he, at school, we want to make sure he does what everybody else is going to do. He's, that's the type of person that he is right now. And we're always talking with him about it. Uh, and a few years ago, I think it was two years ago, there was something in his school. Uh, it was a project. I don't even remember the situation. But I remember it was like, no, you're going to do this. And he was like, he, he, had, he freaked out. I'm not going to do this. And we're like, this is what you're going to do. We don't care what everybody else is doing. This is what you're, you're going to do. And he is hyperventilating, freaking out. I feel like an awful dad at this point because I'm making him do something that's making him cry, right? Next thing I know, we're getting ready for school, and I walk by his room, and I, I, I see him. And actually, I think Leah saw him. He's at the edge of our bed, and he's just doing, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And he's praying, help me get through this moment that my mom and dad are creating in my life, I think. And I thought to myself, that's, that's what adversity does. Whether it was dumb. I mean, I, you can say that's dumb, but hey, every time you worry about the same thing, is that dumb too? But you come when you have adversity, wh where do you tend to go? You tend to come to the throne of God saying, Jesus, help me. I'm in over my head. So I would say, hey, if you want your kids to draw close to God, allow them to face some struggle in their life. Uh, allow God to use it. In fact, I want to read you one more, uh, what I would call parenting verse that would apply to all of us. But watch what, watch what this says. In, in 2 Corinthians 12, it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to do what? Take it away from me. Don't we do that? At, just do this for me, parents. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, he says, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake what i have figured out is i can delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties and here's why for when i'm weak in those moments who becomes strong he does you allow him to face those things you're teaching them you're not that strong but you know who is god he can not only can he help me get over the boogeyman but he can help me love that bully 
He can help me overcome that teacher that I think is treating me wrong. He can help me work hard for that boss that has mistreated me. He can help me when everybody else doesn't notice the things I'm doing. I can still keep going. I can still face it. When I face very real difficulties in my future, when I get a bad report from the doctor, when my marriage starts crumbling, when something happens that I don't know what to do with, where am I going to go? I'm going to go to Jesus because when I'm weak, he is strong. And he has shown me that through my life up to this point. He's shown me that through my life. Why, why is struggling important? Uh, because you're teaching them where to go with it. You're teaching them where to go with it. Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes with me? All over our house. So I know, I know this probably is a little different message than maybe you've heard before. Because it goes against every parental instinct that we have. Don't let them face anything. Let them be a kid. And I get it to a certain level. You want to protect them and keep them safe. But man, it's dangerous to not let them struggle at some aspect and point in their life. It's dangerous to not let them walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But learn they can fear no evil because he is with them. His rod and their staff, they comfort him and protect them. And his goodness follows them all the days of their life. That he can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And don't, don't get in the way of that as a parent. Even though, man, I know how much you love them. I know how much good you want for their life. Man, refuse to parent them in a way that God doesn't parent you. And I want to speak to that for a moment. Because I think there's some people in here today that you're here. Uh, and it's really difficult for you to believe that God God is good and he created you because of some pain that you faced. Some difficulty that you've endured. You're convinced that if God was good that he would have never let that in your life. But the Bible speaks differently. The Bible says you will face hardships. This is not your home. That in him and through him you can overcome them. The Bible promises that he'll use all things for his good to accomplish his will in your life. That pain is, all, is often the spot that he develops you for his purposes. And some of you have faced things and you have described it and defined it as a mistake. But when you come to God, you realize, no, no, he put it there for a reason. He wants to use my life in a very specific way. He's given me different eyes than other people have, a different heart than other people, different hands, different feet than maybe other people have because of things that I've faced and went through. See, outside of God... Uh, those things just become a disaster. They do. They become a disaster in your life. They become places of pain and resentment and bitterness. And here's the thing about those, those places. Uh, doesn't matter how mad you are, how angry you are, how bitter you are, how unforgiving that you are. They don't get better. And it's weird. You don't ever move away from them. You just drag them with you. You drag that hatred of your parents with you. That, that, that hatred, uh, that bitterness of what was done, you just drag it with you. But the Bible says that, that when Jesus comes, that he came to release the captives. I started thinking about that image. Some of you, you have that, that, old, that old chain on your ankle and that, that ball. And you have been sentenced to a life, you think, of anger and bitterness and proving other people wrong. And you're dragging it around everywhere you go, every decision that you make every interaction that you have, every relationship, now you pass it on to your kids and you drag that, 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 that heavy weight around in your life. But the Bible says Jesus came to release the captives to set people free. It's in him that you have forgiveness and freedom and hope and mercy and grace. Let me say, I can't forgive that person. Listen, 
You won't ever know what forgiveness is like until you meet the forgiver. The one that loves you no matter what. That will never turn his back on you. That has done everything in his power to have a relationship with you. Maybe you don't understand that fully. But the Bible says that Jesus came and he died on a cross for your sins in your place. And he was put in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose in power. He paid for your sins in full. And now he offers you eternity through his resurrection. And there's really two ways to live your life, friend. You can, life, you can live your life as a result of what's been said and done to you by other people or you can live your life as a result of what Jesus has done for you and that's it you live your life in freedom in hope in mercy in forgiveness in restoration in healing that's the life that Jesus has to offer I'm not asking you if your life was bad or if you struggled or if you were let down or if somebody did you dirty or somebody turned their back on. That's what I'm going to All of us have experienced that. I found Christ not because I'm a perfect person or had a perfect life, but I need him. I need him to define my life. I need him to help me overcome my past. And he has set me free. And I'm not a victim of what people do to me. I'm victorious in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, greater is he that lives in, in me, in me than, than he that lives in this world. That no weapon formed against me will prosper in the name of Jesus Christ that I can face anything that comes my way because he has already won the victory, friend. So as we, we talk about parenting, you have a parent that loves you more than you can imagine. You have a creator that has destined you for hope and forgiveness and eternity. And he's here right now. And the Bible says that you can become reconnected to that creator through his son, Jesus, by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. There's this moment in your life where you say, you know what? Today I want to follow Jesus Christ. I've been... I've been hurt, I'm running, I'm desperate and I'm lost, and today I want to give my life to Christ. And I felt, I just felt as I pray, as I preach this message that there will be somebody here that as I was talking to parents, that they would just kind of e not even hear any of that maybe. And you would begin to think about your life and your letdown and your hurt and your struggles and your anger. And you would say, that's me, I'm dealing with all of that, but I don't want to deal with that anymore. I don't want to carry that with me anymore. It, it, it's crippled my life. There's freedom here today, friend. There's freedom. It's not found in a book. It's not in steps. It's in Jesus. His name is Jesus. It's a person. And he is here right now. And he deeply wants to have a relationship with you. So if you're in this place all over our campuses, uh, in Montgomeryville, Limerick, Plymouth Meeting, Royersford, watching online even, uh, there's somebody right there with you. If you're online, there's somebody at the keyboard on the other side talking with you. But if you're at our other campus, there's somebody standing right in the front like I am right now at Phoenixville. And you say, that's me. Man, I struggle with my struggle. I've been angry at God. I've had resentment towards God. I've been angry with God. But I realize it doesn't make it better. But today I want to receive forgiveness and freedom and hope. And I need to put my, my, my life in the hands of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We're, we're going to pray in a second. If that's you. I, I believe there's a line in the sand moment in everybody's life where they say, you know what, that's who I am. You're, you're talking to me right now. The Word of God is doing something. He's stirring me, and I need to respond. And the way we respond all over our campuses, nobody's looking around. They got their own stuff to deal with. But if you would say, hey, Steve, that's me. I need to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you in a second. 
I'm not going to manipulate you. I believe the Spirit of the Lord is already speaking to you. And if that's you, in courage and in faith, just one step I want you to take. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to pray out loud. I just want to know I'm praying with you as we close. And I'm going to ask you in a second. I just want you to shoot your hand straight up in the air and say, that's me. I've been struggling. I've been in pain. I've been weighed down by my past. I've been angry with people. I've been angry with God, but I don't want to anymore. I need to get free in the name of Jesus Christ. I need freedom in my life right now. If that's you all over our campuses right now, if that's you and the Spirit of the Lord is working, I just want you to shoot your hand straight up in the air and say, today I need freedom. I need forgiveness. I, I, I need hope. Hey, there's already people in Roarsford and Plymouth meeting responded. Yes, yes, yes. Is there anybody else? Hey, pastor, that's me. I've been struggling with my struggle. I couldn't figure. I see a hand right here. Is there anybody else? say, hey, pastor, that's me. I see another hand right here. I've been struggling with my struggle. Hey, you feel what's happening? The Bible says for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, guess what happens? They should be free. They're free right now. They're free right now. Hey, there's somebody else in Royersford right now. Let's clap for them. Yes, they're free. The Spirit of the Lord is setting people free right now. Let's begin to pray. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your word, for it never returns void. Every word has the weight and the ability to change somebody's life forever. And so you're doing that right now. There's freedom in this place. Freedom from sin. Freedom from baggage. Freedom from hatred. Freedom from everything we've carried in. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that's the promise where two or more are gathered in your name that you show up. So from the moment that the first instrument was played and the first words were sang, Lord, your power and your presence arrived in this room, and now you've done what only you can do, and it will never get old. As we get ready to close, Lord, here's what I want us to, I want you, I want us to picture. The Bible says, all of heaven stops to rejoice as sons and daughters come home to you. Lord, right now you are rejoicing, and we are rejoicing with you. We're thankful for your forgiveness and hope. And so that's a simple moment right now where these people say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my pain, my shame, my sin, and my sorrow. I give it to you. And Jesus, I receive that new life. Jesus, right now, I believe I'm a brand new creation. What was true of me is no longer true of me. For I was once dead in my sin, and now I'm alive in Christ. I was once blinded, now I see. I was once dead, and now I'm alive. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. We thank you for all that you continue to do, Lord, as we get ready to participate and watch, watching over 60 people take their next steps and get baptized. Lord, we, get, we are so excited that we get to be part of a church that gets to experience a move of God. Thank you for all that you've done and all that you continue to do. In Jesus' name we pray. One more time, church, let's shout amen together. Come on, let's clap. Let's thank God for what he's done.